This is the Nomad Futurist Podcast, a podcast about the evolution of technology, society, and transformation. Connect with us, share your thoughts with us at nomadfuturist.com. Let's get this started. Here are Phil and Nabil. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Nomad Futurist. This is your co-host, Nabil Mahmood, live from Honolulu, Hawaii. This is your co-host, Philip Koblenz, also live in Honolulu, Hawaii. And we are joined by Jim Grice, partner at Ackerman LLP. Jim, where are you from? I'm originally from Missouri. Grew up on a farm in north central Missouri. I thought Missouri people refer to it as Missouri. Missouri. Is that wrong? You know, there's there's like a there's like a split, but I, I for whatever reason I kinda end up with the Missouri version. Right? Love it. But yeah. born and raised there though. And where are you at these days? I, I live in, I technically live in uh, Leewood, Kansas, so not far from, you know, just across the border from Missouri. Thank you again for taking the time to join us today. So tell us about yourself, what you do. Well, I lead the data center and digital infrastructure team at law firm Ackerman LLP. And, you know, that, that entails pretty much immersing myself and the rest of our team in this sector. So, you know, uh, having been to more conferences and more uh, more industry meetings than I can count, I, I guess I'm doing a good job of immersing myself. Now we just have to be able to uh, you know, produce the results that people want. It's not want just immersive see. cooling, everyone. It's immersive <laughs> lawyering. Immersive, immersive lawyering. lawyering. There you go. Yeah. The immersive data center council, right? <laughs> yeah, that's going. I'm afraid that's going to stick. <laughs> you should, I think you should change your title. On the, exactly. on your business. Yeah, yeah. The immersive lawyer. I've been thinking about a tagline for our group. And so maybe that, maybe that'll be, is. you know, data, uh, just, Ackerman every, LLP. The immersive data just center every lawyer. Every hit and every card, I get a nickel. I just need a nickel. I'm not. I'm not a pig. <laughs> well, yeah, you take are, that offline, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you are our first lawyer friend. Second, the, second lawyer. Second. We had Cal, Caroline McCaffrey. Yes, I, yeah, but she was like one of the cybersecurity. She was on the cybersecurity, she, right? She, 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 the traitor to law. She, oh, there's no question about <laughs> it. You know, she knows it. She know. She knows it like ruined from within. Yeah. Like, sorry, yeah. Caroline. Exactly. All right. So let's go back in time just for a bit. Did you always want to be in practicing law as a kid? You know, I actually had an interest in kind of finance and actually was a stockbroker before I went to law school. And I never forget the day that my manager told me, I think it'd be a good idea if you go to law school. So I did. (laughs) So why did he tell you that? Oh, that was, that was a time period when there was a lot of ups and downs and there's a lot of transition in the, uh, you know, the registered rep kind of traditional stock brokerage, you know, build positions and sell. It was moving more to money to manage money. And, and I was also very young. That's one of the things I look back on with my kids. You know, there's a time and place for you to try to play a role in kind of a mature career. And a 22-year-old kid trying to pitch stocks to 50-year-old independent wealthy folks is not necessarily going to work all the time. Seemed to work out in that movie, Boiler Room. Yeah, exactly. You know, what is it? Wall Street? You know, <laughs> right, is good. Exactly. Well, of course, I grew up at a time period when, when that came out. So, right. you know, a couple of my buddies. That explains thought, the slick back hair. Yeah, you look. exactly. You know, and, but then I had a few folks that, uh, that were in my life at that time, one of which was my girlfriend's mother, who was encouraging me that you know, her husband, her husband had passed away, but had been a lawyer and she said, oh, you'd be a great lawyer. And so I went to law school. Was yeah. it the arguing? I mean, is that that's uh, yeah, what, growing up? What, growing up, I was always told, you know, you should be a lawyer because I would never. I just didn't shut up, and I was a constantly yeah. like you know, arguing points, which I'm not sure would have made me a good lawyer, for the record. But <laughs> was there something particular that, that about you that you think made people you say know, that you should have been a lawyer? You know, it's I'm, I'm, actually when I was going to law school, I thought I was going to be a tax lawyer. That's what I thought I would do. I was, I was, I, I did a lot of that sounds work fascinating. In, yeah, exactly. <laughs> And those are the classes I did best in in law school because it's very methodical and very math. You know, it's very, you know, there's a right answer. 
Sure. They're supposed to be. It's very biased. There's no nuance. Yeah. There's no nuance. And I was, you know, on an undergrad, I, I would, I had a math minor. And so that kind of fit with my, you know, my, I guess the way my mind worked. But, but oddly enough, the experience of being a stockbroker and learning how to sell and learning how to prospect and learning how to really, for all intents and purposes, advocate for a product or for a sale. It's probably, you know, even though you have to go to law school and learn all about the law and learn how to analyze and all that and all the things that are are critical for being a successful lawyer, but learning how to talk to people and engage with people, whether it be your clients or people that you, you know, like to pursue as a client, that's the skill set that's probably allowed my career to flourish like it is. Outstanding. So finance, law school, what was a particular vertical as as it entails to your JD you picked? Or was there one? Well, when I came out of law school, I was really interested in land use and real estate. And I went to work for a law firm that, that was doing tax, a lot of tax incentive finance and just got a tremendous amount of experience working on, you know, various types of real estate, but most always it involves some kind of tax incentive finance, whether it be tax abatement or tax increment financing was something I spent a lot of time on. Matter of fact, I was I was dedicated to the Tax Increment Financing Commission of Kansas City, Missouri when I got out of law school. And, and, the, and the commission was particularly active at that time. And our firm, I worked for a law firm who was hired by that commission. So we were outside counsel, the counsel engaged. And that was a, that was a good set of experiences because it really allowed me to kind of leverage kind of my interest in kind of the, that finance, kind of, you know, running numbers in a spreadsheet aspect of my personality and, 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 and thought process with the application of, of the law, but it, but it's really more about deal structuring. Right. And, uh, and that, uh, and that was just a great run because, and I, I thank, I'm so thankful of my mentors at that time, you know, which were the, which were the name partners in that law firm that gave me the opportunity to do that because they, they really gave me a lot of responsibility and put me into a lot of really material projects when I was fourth or fifth year at law school. You know. squeeze as much out of you and then charge as much as they possibly can yeah. to get it. I'm sure they had a, they had, they yeah. had, they had some benefits. Well, yeah. The fee arrangement made it advantageous <laughs> for me to do the work and not that. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's right. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> I'm not taking any with any way from them, but you know, no, it, was they, a, it, well, it worked were, both were, ways. It worked they were shrewd way. businessmen. Let's put it that they, they definitely were. So that's a part of their job. Right. Yeah. Of course. So, so real estate. So how did they get involved in the data center space? All deceptive. Well, that, that, that's, that's kind of like a twist of fate as well, right? You know, you, 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 you do the best you can to plan for life, but it's always that, it's always that little turn in the road that takes you, that takes you the, to the next direction. And the turn in the road for me was 2009 when the, when we had the great recession. And at that point in time, I was 95% plus big box retail doing large scale development, power centers, entertainment districts had nothing to do with data centers. It all it had everything to do with tax incentives, tax, tax financing, tax incentive financing, tax economic development incentives. And, and I was working at a firm and we, and I was, I was a chair of the real estate group and we, we had a very flirt, a very substantial practice and literally it ended overnight. I mean, over the course of November, 2008 to March, 2009, we went from probably 24 active projects, very material projects to zero. And every client's like, well, I'm just going to let this settle down for a while and see how this blows over. And, and of course, we were all, you know, really new to develop. Like back in those days, prior to that, that window, Walmart and Target were opening probably 175 stores a year, which anchored retail centers all over the United States. And they went from that to zero. 
And with the anchor going to zero, then nothing else happened because this, that, that's how anchored retail works. Um, and everything was just kind of shuttered for a while professionally. And I, you know, again, kind of the turn in the road. I had a high school friend that was a civil engineer, had a project that was, it was a certified data center site. And he said, I need you to come help me on the incentives. And so we kind of worked out an arrangement that worked for both of us and his partners. And I went to work on that site. And so you leave the law firm or is it a project that the law firm takes or are you just, no, it was, it was, it was, I was performing the legal work on, through the law firm and, but we had to work out an arrangement because they were, it was a distressed asset. So they were, you know, it wasn't your typical, here, I'll write down time and send you a bill scenario because, you know, they needed, they needed some help and he was a friend from high. And so I worked on that and it just kind of opened my eyes to, you know, and in my mind, I remember telling my wife. I used to be a big, a big box retail lawyer for all intents and purposes. I'm staying in retail. I'm just going to the digital side of the world. And, and, and of course, you know, it's taken a lot of time since then for this to all mature and the whole process to, to, to come together. But ironically, that is kind of what happened, right? We went to a different model for retail. The whole world went to a different model. And then the pandemic hit and it got worse, even more amplified, maybe not worse because it's better in some ways, right? Well, the nice thing when is when the big box retail tenants are computers, you need less bathrooms, which is probably. Yeah, nice. that's right. You know, there's, I'll tell you what. Yeah, indeed. Question. No question. Indeed. Indeed. So, so that's what came, that's what brought me into the data center space. And then it just kind of became almost an, at first it was kind of small part of my, what I was doing. And then it just, it, it just drew me in. You know, because one opportunity would would make, would show up, and and it's such an interesting industry. And intellectually, it's it, you know it's so much more interesting to me than traditional real estate. I want to ask you this question: comparatively speaking, big box retail versus where would you up? Oh, Lord, you're in this space. <laughs> oh, without question. I'd rather be back at the tax incentives. I wish. Well, let's turn well, back the clock, to, too. I, I, well, first of all, just to answer your question directly, I mean, I think there's no question. I am I feel very fortunate I kind of got that, that turn in the road and also had the opportunity to accept it as, as something to pursue. Because I would if, if, if the economy hadn't crashed, I would have been too busy doing what I was doing to pay a lot of attention to this thing I didn't really understand and know much about. I really was kind of on, I mean, I really didn't have nothing to do. I mean, right. I mean, you, you know, know, I was trying to right, re- play, right place, right time. Right? I was so trying to it. rebuild my practice. I was trying to keep from laying young attorneys off in our group. I was doing all sorts of trying to stuff. And, and then, I, and this was something, and this was a friend that needed help, but I mean, it was more, it was an assignment. It was a project to work on, but through that project, I met folks like Mike Manos, Steve Manos, Joe Cava, because, the, because they were showing the site to all of these big what are we call a hyperscaler cloud operators? Cause it was a big site and, and it was, a, it was, it was, it had, it had certain attributes that, that were, that, 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 ju- that could pull people out to do a site visit. And because I was so integrated, so heavily involved in what they were doing, I was basically, you know, at all of those meetings and got to meet a lot of people. And then, and like I say, it just kind of, it just kind of snowballed a little bit, but again, it's all about the, the opportunity to, you know, cause sometimes that helps. that's what life does for you. Right. You know, if you've got a window where you can pay attention to an opportunity, you can truly appreciate for what it is. So to answer your question, big box or this, I've had opportunities along the way because retail didn't die forever, right? But I had opportunities and have, have, have incrementally continued to migrate our practice exclusively to this space. Even though there's, you know, there's opportunities to go back in and accept representation. I've actually turned representation down from retail developers that I used to work with just because the, it, it, it's, it's a different type of work. It's a different type of product. 
And there's, a, there's just a higher level of satisfaction maybe and a higher value coefficient to work in this space. There's just, it's just a much more complicated technological facility. And, and the people are a lot more funner. And people are a lot, it's a way, it's a way more cool crowd, right? <laughs> Take that, Walmart. <laughs> so not, not, not too, too pressing, but we are right at this chasm whereby we'd be ready for an It's impossible. Let's start with recession. Not sure we're quite at the depression level, but yeah, I mean, you see a lot of layoffs happening in the tech sector. Yeah, we do see a lot of layoffs and it's hard to anticipate what's going to happen. You know, I was in actually here at PTC. I was, I was in a, a presentation earlier this week where, where gentleman was talking about when you see these changes in economic conditions, it's not necessarily a, it's, it's, it doesn't mean that the world stops. It just means it changes our operational theater. I thought that was kind of a really insightful way to look at it because it just presents new challenges. And I think that's what we're in for. We're in for some new challenges, but most of the folks, well, I personally believe that if we do have challenges in our economy, it might actually, like the pandemic, it might amplify our need for the digital infrastructure that we continue to work on access to. And so we may fare better in a downturn as an industry. I think we will likely fare better now, does that mean things couldn't pull back? Who knows? You know, we wouldn't, we'd be doing something different if we could truly. I mean, there's it. always, there's always obviously the change based on, you know, the cost of money, you know, money's not as, as right. cheap as it was. So that might, you know, change maybe the acceleration of some of these projects, obviously. But uh, yeah, I think there's, there's very little question that, you know, there, there used to be only one or two industries that were, you know, to a certain extent insulated from recessions. Let's, let's call them recession proof. I'm not going to name the others because it's inappropriate for for a family show, but the, 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 the digital, the, the digital, yeah, yeah, yeah. The digital, sure. Use what your imagination, folks, or, or Google it. Yeah. But the digital infrastructure space is certainly one of them. And if you look at your particular experience, I mean, the last great recession was your biggest opportunity, right? So yeah. I think, I think anytime we're presented with a challenge, whether it be, you know, economic or whether it be in our personal lives, you know, you could look at it one of two ways. You could look at it as, you know, something that you are, you know, hoping against hope doesn't happen or, you know, it's just the the potential for an opportunity and, and to mm -hmm. take one of those forks in the road that will inevitably present themselves. Yeah. And I, and I think, I don't know. I mean, you know, you just, you, you always just kind of plan to just continue to work hard. Right. And, but I, I just can't see how this particular sector gets hit as hard as others. And in, and in fact, you, know, you talk about the, the rates are moving up and they're moving down and that's just the cost of money. That's a, pro, that's a line item in the pro forma right, of a new project or maybe an old project if, it, if it's hitting a variable rate structure. But but I think the, the other thing is there's a lot of capital that's struggling to try to find a place to go. And so it, it, I think you have to look at it also on a relative basis around project activity. Do we have strong demand drivers to drive data and the need to warehouse data and manipulate data and store data, et cetera? And the answer is yes. I mean, you know, we still have technologies, whether it be our handheld applications or it be the next wave of IoT, et cetera, et cetera, that are going to drive more and more data. So the infrastructure layer is, 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 as of right now, it's, 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 it's more than necessary, right? And the growth of that is, it has to continue. And so I think there's an, there's an interesting dichotomy here where you got these other, a retail in particular or office is probably a better example. The pandemic just has revolutionized the utilization of office right now. Sure. I see it in my own law firm. When I visit my, you know, the various offices around the country. What is know, that haystack doing there? Or yeah, that, yeah. is that a hay ball? <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> no, but I mean, the percentage. <laughs> yeah. The percentage of folks that are there, I mean, it's just not, it's not occupied fully, you know, it may vary from site to site, but you know, a lot of people are still working from home because they can, because they learned how. And, and they like, they like wearing gym shorts and, 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 and golf shirts, you know, and zooming. Well, zoom, zoom only, only gets you usually from the waist up, if not even higher than that. So Ex- exactly. Or sometimes don't turn your camera on because you're still, you just got uh, done. I always, I'm always skeptical of that. Anytime you have a zoom with me, little, I'm little, like, what are you trying to hide? Exactly. To hide? A little sketchy. I will be the contrarian for a moment, which is to suggest, and obviously you have the benefit of your experience since, since then. But if you ask 2007, Jim, if the retail, a big box space would have been disrupted, would you have seen the same risk factors at that point that, 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 you know, you don't think exist for the digital infrastructure sector? That's a, I mean, that's a good point. We, we, you know, we all probably have a little bit of a blind spot when we're really close to Apology it. accepted. I'll take uh, But the, point uh, me. but the, uh, <laughs> you know, the drivers of the 2009, you know, 2008, nine pullback were, are different now. Of course, again, you know, our feds trying to, they're trying to struggle through the economic transition. We're trying to have a quote soft landing, which is probably impossible, you know, but, but I, I just go back to the drivers of, of retail. The drivers of retail were dependent upon retail spending. It's a whole different model than what we're talking about oh, in the no digital question, economy no and, yeah. and the, and the digitization, the digital economy, et cetera. So anyway, the whole point of it is, I think that, you know, I'm confident that we're not going to see a massive pullback or a complete reset. Like what was it? 2001 where we, when we have the dot dot com bubble oh, burst. Yeah, the burst. yeah. I, mean, I don't think we'll see that coming up. And others I've talked to agree. I mean, that should be smarter than me. I mean, I'm just a lawyer, right? The business people tell me what deal they make and then we try to document it. But what is that a SNL skit? I'm just a caveman. Yeah, I'm just a caveman. Exactly. <laughs> but, but I mean, it, it goes back to the demand drivers to drive the digital economy and drive the di- need for digital infrastructure. And more importantly, the, the need to expand digital infrastructure. And, and so anyway, the drivers seem to be different which would present us with a kind of a unit, almost a little bit of a bubble in a good way, not a bubble that's going to get burst, but a bubble that kind of insulates us from some of the other ups and downs, office, retail, other types of asset classes. And so, but, but to go back to 2007, to answer your question, you know, the benefit of time and experience and age, right. You know, probably have a little more perception now than I did then. Back then I was just, you know, I was a very, much younger lawyer that was, uh, you know, not, probably didn't appreciate the success I was having at the time, right? If in, if in 10 years you come on the podcast and you're like, you know what? I would have never guessed it, but we're building blockbuster videos again. Yeah. Then, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll look back know, on this, but I think you're probably if, right. And if that's the direction we go, I'll try to figure out a way to migrate with it, right? <laughs> so what, what, what are some of the key trends you're seeing as it entails to private equity and investment and or real estate in the digital infrastructure? Well, I think there's... what. My sense of it is there's a there's a large pool of capital out there that come from various sources, right? That could be, but but without getting into the different sources because they have different motivations. But there's a large pool a large pool aggregate pool of capital worldwide, and they have to invest that money somewhere, right? And and so then they start looking at overweighting in particular sec particular areas. If you get them in distress, they might start looking for different opportunities. But that's why I think that we'll have stable investment in the digital infrastructure space, because on a relative basis, they need to wait more, they need to move more percentage of their portfolio in that because these other assets are going to underperform, right? Even if this, even if we don't perform as well as we have been, it's still better than what could be, you know, some kind of a negative return on another, like an office class. If, if I'm picking on office and hopefully I'm not being unjustified with that, but 
But, you know, just intuitively. We get angry letters from all sorts of commercial real estate landlords. Exactly. How just, dare you? How dare you? It's going like hotcakes. People are coming back to the office. You would never it, guess. Exactly. And it just seems, but it just intuitively, from my own observation, it seems like office is a good comparison that could be stark comparison. But that's kind of what I'm thinking is where, where that's how it'll happen is there's so much capital. And we, we all see people in this industry that are raising funds that with a, with a mandate for digital infrastructure and, and, you know, whether interest rates go up a little more or they don't go up a little more, that's kind of a relative cost of doing business, right? They still have to deploy the capital and, and, and then they have to deploy the capital in an area that they feel has good, solid demand drivers. And, and it seems like that matrix, that set of, that set of circumstances probably maintains at least over the immediate time frame. The, the further. I think it comes to a, a point that is not emphasized enough in our industry, which is that the reason why digital infrastructure is such a good investment and, and, and such good projects is because it's not, there's not, it's not a singularity. It's not like Walmart is there, Kmart is there, all those companies are there as part of the retail sector. Mm-hmm. Digital infrastructure serves every sector. There is no single industry that benefits That's from right. digital infrastructure, right? So the only way that sector would start to contract is if everyone simultaneously in every industry, you know, n- didn't utilize the things that we don't just use professionally. We use personally. We use in all elements of our lives from telehealth and, and you know, education. Our, my kids are still leveraging Google Classroom like they did during the pandemic. Well, not like they did during the pandemic, yeah. slightly, slightly, slightly less so, but still a part of their education platform that is not going away. And of course, in our professional lives, I mean, there's no, we're, we're addicted to phones and apps in, in every, uh, banking is now, and I mean, who needs, who goes to a bank, when's the last time you went to a bank teller right. to deposit a check? It's just, right. it's, it's a bizarre, like we, I, I have a hard time figuring out even how to write a check because those are, it's a skill set that I've lost. Like I, I don't even know how to do it anymore. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and as I listened to your, to your comments there, 10, about 10 years ago, I worked on a project with a group, a coalition in Arizona to help pass legislation out there to, to kind of reset the tax, taxes applicable to digital infrastructure, you know, data center equipment in particular is how the, it's written in the statute. And I used to have to, te- I, a couple of times I had to testify, you know, in front of the, the committees, right? Committee hearings on the bill. And that was our talking point 10 years ago. Every business and every individual has, you know, it touches IT and touches the access to di- digital, inf- uses digital infrastructure. And if you don't have an IT strategy or you're not moving towards an IT strategy, then you're not going to end up being a scalable business model because that's that's what IT gives us. That's what the da- data centers give us is scale. And so there is a category of businesses out there that may not need that much scale, but they still need access to a credit card processing machine. Sure. Right. They still need access to data. Otherwise, you could like Sears more income. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, sorry, so, you- sorry, Sears. Sorry about that. Yeah. Well, it was their own doing. <laughs> that Discover card thing really, really threw them for a lip. Are you seeing a lot more activity internationally? I mean, sort of feels like the American digital infrastructure business has started to slow down. Are you seeing more international activity? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. All of your kind of your research reports and stuff are projecting, you know, strong activity in, in, in Western Europe. There's a lot of projections, I think, for from what I'm reading. There's all strong projections for, for growth of data center activity in, 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 in Southeast Asia. And I know there's a there's folks that are focusing, obviously focusing on Latin America as well. Oh, so it, it's a global thing. There is going to be ebb and flow. Now, I mean, the United States is, is a big, robust market, but there has been a tremendous amount of activity in Europe, for sure, just by the numbers. Is that know. a difficult thing to keep up with? Like, you know, I... 
typically you think of, you know, lawyers that are based on the region, you know, admitted to the bar in New York or they're admitted to the bar in New Jersey or California, et cetera. Is it difficult because the data center element, I mean, your skill set translates globally in terms of Mm. logistics of how to, you know, structure a deal. But every read, I mean, obviously within the U.S. there are, there are, are, are changes, but globally, obviously there's, there's different jurisdictions that have, you know, the rules in China are probably different than, than the rules in other places. How do you keep up with that? Or do you even need to, or do you like partner with law firms in those other areas to, to make that happen? Yeah. I mean, typically it depends on what you, they, like for our team, it depends on what you ask us to do. We do leasing globally, but typically when we're high, when we're brought in to do something like that, usually it's a, it's a, it's a U.S. tech company on the other side. It's a hyperscale, U.S. hyperscaler. And because of that, they usually start out with a kind of an Americanized first draft contract. They also start out with an Americanized kind of approach to the negotiation. And so, you know, whether we, you know, our leasing we've done in the United States and that experience is very applicable to your point because it's very sector centric, but there's other aspects of a project. You know, we do a lot. Our, our team currently is doing a lot of power procurement assistance and that's a hot button issue in the last six months because of the, the Dominion power situation. And, but, but our expertise in that is probably most suitable in the United States because, you know, that's a very jurisdiction specific issue. It's very regulated by, by individual countries. But when we do get involved in a project that is outside of the United States, to your point, we have to get local counsel involved to make sure that we conform with the local rules and local licensing requirements, et cetera. Even within the United States, I mean, I'm I'm licensed in three states, but you know, if you do work in another state that you're not licensed in, you still need to be mindful of that local council role to make sure you, you know, you understand there's just, there's always, there's always something that's unique about a particular state that you, you don't want to overlook. Is right? there something in your experience that was, you know, in all of your kind of internet exposure to these international deals that was like the most surprising, like in, Indonesia, they make you, you know, do something like that you couldn't possibly uh, believe. No, nothing really jumps out, quite frankly. I mean, there are differences, but I mean, there's nothing that's so different that it's, you know, it's burdensome. But, you know, our, our exposure is typically, you know, in Western Europe and, you know, Southeast Asia. And then, like I say, we're starting to get more involved in Latin America. And, you know, one of the things that happens when you cross borders is, you know, not only do they have different laws, but they have different cultural ways of doing business. And sometimes that's the piece that is the hardest to pick up on, you know, in some countries they're, they're much more interested in, you don't want to, they don't want to have a meeting and talk about business and then go back to the airport and leave. You know, you need to have dinner. You need to get to know one another before they, that were, before the, they feel like the relationship is strong enough to do business. Right. And, Sounds and, like you're talking about something in particular, name the country. Oh, well, I mean, you know, I, I don't know that I can <laughs> nail that down, but uh, like Japanese but, culture, I've heard that that's a big thing in Japanese culture. Yeah. Right? The, yeah. I, I have too. I've not experienced that personally in Jap- right. Japan, but that's, that's, that's what I've heard as well. But I mean, those are kind of things that that's where local resources are important because they understand that. Right. And then, you know, as a U.S. company, you know, you have to worry about, you know, culturally sometimes what we think is appropriate in our conduct of our affairs, sometimes other countries may, you know, not the Western Europe's of the world, but maybe some of the more emerging markets of the world. You really have to have, you have to be vigilant to make sure that we follow our, our rules around how we interact with government officials, et cetera, right? What the future like from a real estate data infrastructure play that you, know, you have been close to or your conversation with our peers? Well, what are we talking about? What's next? 
Well, the thing that it seems to be coming up in many of the conversations here at PTC with a lot of operators, because our practice right now is pretty heavily weighted towards owners and investors of data center hyperscale infrastructure, right? So, and so we're kind of across the table from the hyperscalers negotiating leases and developing projects they want to use. And the thing that seems to be coming back from that category of a category of, of client is energy, you know, and it all kind of started, we, we were hired a number of, a few years ago, and I can't nailed down how many years ago, but like it's a little blur the last decade. I know as you get older, you know, it all kind of blurs together, but full demand hit Ireland and flexible demand is essentially a program where air grid said in the Dublin area, they're not going to give you, you know, they're not going to give you a firm commitment on power beyond 10 megawatts or something like that. Like I can't remember the exact number, but it was not 50. Right. And, and, and then you, you've seen power constraints in Europe. And so people have already been dealing with power constraints in Europe, but the thing that's starting to hit now is power constraints in the United States. And that seems to be one of the hot button issues right now that, and so where does that go? You know, so let's, let's look forward five years. And this has come up in some of the, a couple of the panels I know where people talk about bring power, bring, bring your own power to the data center campus. Right. And we are getting exposed. We are getting pulled in to assist with, you know, folks that are talking about onsite power generation that could enable peak shaving that might serve to as a dual purpose for backup power instead of diesel generator power. Where all that lands, I'm not really sure, but I think if the utility power base is not as reliable and readily available as it has been, then that's going to change because we have to have power. I mean, everything we've talked about, it's all driven by electricity. And in the United States, at least, and across the world, I think it's the same problem, you know, Either it's a either it's a production fleet's not going to keep up because either we're decommissioning power production or we're not building enough new, or our, power, or our grid capacity is not being expanded or connected adequately or fast enough or wide enough, and those two that one of those two factors gives rise to you know, regional power capacity constraints, and with that means you know because I mean we're built on you know. 100% reliability through, you know, 7 by 24, 365 service levels, et cetera. And I just think that's, you know, that's the issue kind of of the day going forward that is liable to change maybe design parameters or approaches to projects, depending upon where those projects need to be, because the projects will need to be there because of latency, you know, population, et cetera. And those also happen to be with electric vehicles and other types. I mean, you think about all the other things that are coming out, technology in and of itself, not just, it all relies upon electricity. So we're all going to do our collective part to draw on the grid. And I just think that, they, so, you know, where that goes, I, it's hard to pinpoint right now, whether people will be successful doing on-site power, you know, depending on how they try to configure it. I don't know if that's necessarily a given. Oh, let's just go build a generator next to the data center. Oh, well, easier said than done. Yeah, they used to have like the Fords used to have that crank in the, Right. So if you just someone to have the crank on right. the side of the generator, you should be on the side of that right. building. You should be able to do it. But to that end, our goal, you know, from a Nomad Futurist perspective, Nomad Futurist Foundation is trying to get the next generation, even the next generation of lawyers coming into our, these are the good lawyers, not, not the bad lawyers, everyone. And one of the, one of the, because we as an industry use so much power to your point, one of the ways in which, you know, because it's so important to this current generation that's, you know, coming into the, the workforce and will be coming into the workforce is sustainability as, yeah. as something that Absolutely. as an industry, we have the, the, the benefit of 
using a lot of power so we can make a, a huge impact and it being a huge element of our cost basis. So sustainability actually benefits our bottom line in ways that, you know, just buying carbon offsets, you know, if you're in the finance world or something to make you feel better about having the private jet, you know, take you around the world <laughs> doesn't necessarily have that same impact. I apologize to all the carbon offset companies out there. Is that something that comes up in your conversations? Is sustainability? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's been coming up for years, right? And but the thing about it is, you know, there was a time about 10 years ago, maybe a little more, where I was working with the Green Grid on a white paper and we were trying, we were, you know, we were struggling with, I was working with my friend, Eddie Shooter, who just used to be a, recently at Switch. And we were trying to come up with the notion of what constitutes sustainable site selection. And this is before people were using ESG widely. Just put some solar panels. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, 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 and so I think one of the things that came out of that exercise is, and I, and my job was to interview senior data center managers across the industry. So a few hyperscalers, a few big financials, a few different industries, right? What's a sustainable site to you? And and we tried to develop a definition and a sustainable site is one that is actually insulated from disruptive cost spikes because this is a 50-year facility and you're going to go through multiple presidential administrations and political environments, et cetera. And so how do you avoid that? Well, what we got from that is diverse fuel sources, diverse power sources, you have resiliency by, you know, by eliminating points of failure, right? And, and I think ESG really kind of embodies that along with other elements that are very important. It doesn't sound like the driver there is the environment. It is. Yeah. On that exercise, we're focused mostly on sustainability in the sense of environmental. Right. But, but that's why I think the renewable energy is is one part of the solution, but it's not 100% of the solution because it's not baseload power typically, right? But it's also important to have all these these fuel sources available to provide that diverse mix to allow us to to be resilient. And but ESG is an emerging topic. It's very it's not an emerging topic. It's 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 it is part of the business world at this point. And. And there was, I'm actually moderating a panel at, at MetroConnect coming up later this month on ESG. And, and is it a win-win? Is the investment a win-win? And our prep call, one of our, one of our speakers talked about how from the investment standpoint, they see ESG, both from the energy and the social and governance, as being really more of an operational model that gives a business resiliency in their overall business decision-making. Which I thought, I never heard anybody characterize it that way. I thought that was actually kind of an interesting way to look at it. And so from a investment standpoint, they benchmarked that, or at least this particular organization looks at it that way in some of their underwriting, because they feel like that it's, you know, that eliminates this, this radicalism that could, you know, in decision-making that could make a business go up and down quickly. And I think that's the important part, right? The important part is trying to make the pitch, not just from a kind of checkbox perspective, right. like they do with diversity and inclusion and ESG, both have similar type of things where you're trying to check that box and make the pitch to the investors where there's a benefit to the overall yeah. business for for leveraging those things. That's right. Yeah, I think at the core of it, they just got to do the right thing. Right. Right. Well, the, the, the monetary aspect of this, you know, eventually. I got to tell you this. I mean, the first lawyer that's actually made data center exotic. <laughs> it helped being in Hollywood. Yeah. Well, I say, uh, you know, most lawyers probably want to talk about indemnification clause and limitation exactly. liability clauses and stuff. Look and at you interviewing yeah. people about what a sustainable data center is. <laughs> Who knew that was on the resume of a lawyer? Yeah. So knowing what you know today and what you have accomplished and where you 
in your life, what would the young Jim Christ do? Well, I'll answer that question with what I'm trying to do now, which is I'm trying to encourage as many young people to understand this is an industry that's worth thinking about. You know, I've got my own children and, you know, and I'm trying to get them to, you know, have a view towards everything we've talked about, right? Play a role in this ecosystem, whether it be as a finance person or an engineer or, or, or some other discipline, we, we have need for all of that, right? And I'm doing it because I think it's, it's, it's not going to stop growing. You know, this is a relatively, it's a relatively limited size industry right now, as far as the headcount, right? And uh, yeah, you think about some other industries like retail. When we used to go to the retail conference and they had one in Las Vegas every year, there'd be like 20,000 people show up, you know? Well, this is probably one of the bigger conferences right here at PTC. And you know everybody by first name. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we all do, right? Yeah, because you can't. Right. Because it's still pretty small. No, because we've taken selfies with you and everyone. (laughs) But I think that's that's if I were to tell myself when I was younger, I wish someone would pull me aside and said, hey, pay attention to this. You know, don't lose sight of the fact this is this is important beyond just maybe being a good career. And but it will be a good career as well. Right. It's 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 very fulfilling. It's very important. And it's and 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 the growth pattern is like like we said earlier. I mean, you know, unless we're all totally missing the ball here. You know, it's going to be here 10 years from now and it'll be quite different, but that's also the benefit of it is it, 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 it can be quite it different. Actually, the impact of your work in a way with other industries, like you right. build something close to your house and literally your Netflix is going to be faster as a that, consequence of that. Exactly. That, that is a really unique way right. of not just like, you know, being you know, some cog in a wheel that you never see because you're just, you know, manipulating paperwork for right. something that's intangible. Well, there's a sense of accomplishment, there's a sense of contribution. And, and just to add to what you just said, I mean, and you probably illustrated a lot and Phil and I ever could. We talk about our industry being the only industry, for starters, it's the youngest industry ever. And the only industry that's got the most sub-verticals. Yeah. And being a lawyer is one of them. Yeah. And marketing and other opportunities. So you can start being a finance guy into real estate and, and you are a perfect example. So thank you for everything, and thank you for your support. Thanks for being one of the good ones. I mean, (laughs) thanks for resisting the pull towards tax law because, oh. Oh, yeah, yeah. I apologize to all the tax lawyers, but you guys know. Taxes like vegetables, man. You just have to eat them, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Uh, Jim, thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. This has been absolutely phenomenal. Welcome to Hawaii. Enjoy the rest of your time out here. Thank you, guys. Thank Thank you. This has been great. Nothing lasts forever. Markets will come back, currencies will rebound, businesses will go on, and we'll all move on. That could happen next week, next month, or next year. I'm confident that those who prepare rather than panic will come out of this stronger. Thank you for joining us. This has been brought to you by Nomad Futurist. Check us online at nomadfuturist.com.